Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, we're Ashley and Andrew Britsky of Deguayo Dogos out of South Texas. Right on. We've been uh, hunting Dogo Argentinos for about nine years, and for this is our sixth year of hunting only Dogo Argentinos. We use them for uh, feral hogs, which us living in South Texas, it's a pretty common you know, game species here for us to hunt. Um, we both have a joy with working dogs, have a background in working dogs, and just really enjoy using this breed to, to hunt with and, and have seen a lot of growth and, and, and maturity through our dog. We've learned a lot through this, and it's, it's just been a wonderful experience. We, we enjoy sharing our, our, what we've learned with, with others in the breed, and, and it seems like now there's, there's a lot more of a Dogo Argentino hunting community that's now coming in and, and becoming more, more well-known within, within the hunting community. And if uh, people don't realize, we did an interview a few years back. I think it's episode 61. Uh, so please uh, check that out if you haven't. And um, Yeah, that seemed to be about three years ago three years. was when, when we did that interview. We went back and looked at it. And uh, congrats to you for keeping the podcast going for that long as well. But yeah, we were surprised it it just seems a lot longer for some reason. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's been a lot of growth in the three year period. It's, right. it's to kind of go back and see where we were at that time. And <laughs> almost like how much more uh, optimistic and positive we were in some aspects and things that, you know, worked out different ways, but it was, it was neat to kind of revisit that this week. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's been going on since and, and how's your program developed and, yeah, so I guess about three years ago, it was 2020, um, when we talked to you, we had uh, a, a new litter, uh, a new litter on the ground that we were just raising and about to start. And that was a really big project for us. That was a really big step for us. Um, we have a male dogo named Buzzy, and uh, that was some really nice pups out of him. Um, we just, we were hunting like crazy that year. Um, yeah, that was three three years ago. It was uh, very much like first generation and and just the start of second generation kind of Deguayo dogos that we were starting to get into. And and like right now in in the Wolpen box, we've got our first fourth generation Deguayo dogo litter. So growth as far as with our own dogs in a certain direction, we them go in. Kind of starting to see a little bit more of a, a physical type hard. They they start to kind of look same. Um, we're, we're, we're kind of, kind of seeing the progress that we've, that we, we were hoping we would at this point, but, uh, just, just started the third generation here this last year, been seeing some really promising things there and, and just, uh, kind of still working on, on developing what, what I guess would later on be called our line, you know, right. don't have something yet that we think is a, is, is a dialed in type, but we're getting a lot closer. Mm-hmm. So tell me some of the things that uh, you guys learned and, and some of the things that you wish you knew before. Well, I mean, as far as like things we've learned, um, you know, we, we talked a lot in the podcast about, and I guess too, you know, to hunt with just this breed of dog, it, it's a very specific role that they play. It's, it's a very, I mean, we, we know what, what we're looking for when we go out there and hunt these dogs. And that really hasn't changed from day one. I mean, we're, we're really wanting dogs that are going to kind of beat the brush, look for sign. You know, if, if you put them somewhere where hogs are, are close by, they're, they're going to work tracks like any other hunting breed would until they find what they're looking for. So 
Oh, and like Andrew said, we've we've learned our line inside and out now that we're, like you said, the pups in the whelping box or third generation to fourth generation, where you have raised and hunted multiple dogs in a pedigree. So I feel like we are learning even down to the type that's in our blood and then what type is thrown with each breeding. And also, like you mentioned, we've always been looking for the package deal, but I I think as far as the training, they we've learned they are from they are who they are from the start. You can always pull a little bit more out of a dogo, but their personality usually stays about the same from a young pup, which you know would show three to five months, I think. Yeah, we we maybe not so much things that we've learned that, that we didn't know at the start, but something that kind of seems to be a recurring theme. And you know, like Ashley said, there have been prospects that we've started that. You know, we've been able to get a little bit more out of them if we put in extra time. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And work and, and really focus on them. But for the most part, the ones that you see at a very young age that you think are going to, you know, go on to, to contribute and, and, you know, really might be something special. Those are the ones that kind of carry through and the ones that you've kind of been on the fence about from the beginning they they you know seldom seem to do as good as some of the other ones and I'm, sh- I'm sure that's a lesson that comes with time um just how how you want things to be natural in your breedings and in your genetics and if you truly want to know what the blood is on your yard you want them to naturally be easy starters and as far as the dogo breed as a whole uh we're aiming for naturally easy starters mm-hmm. when, when we did the first podcast back in 2020 we were probably on dogo number 10, maybe 12, as far as dogs that we've raised and started in the woods. And I'd say now we're probably closing in on 30. So just that extra, extra amount of reps and, and seeing, you know, that many more dogos start out from, from the beginning, you know, you kind of get a better idea. And maybe that's what it is too. Maybe we just have a better eye now and we can right. kind of see from a younger age, which ones we think are going to work out. Mm-hmm. What was it? Again, this is kind of like a, a rehash, but I think people still like to hear is what was the deciding factor for you guys to go all in on the Dogo Argentino and, and um, what qualities do they bring to the table, especially when they're, you know, hunting? Like Andrew said, we uh, both come from a working dog, loving the working dog uh, background his family's heavy into the coon hounds. My family was heavy into the military dog training programs. Um, we lived together. He had a really good batch of uh, hog dogs going. We tried to build that back up. We spoke about, you know, if we're going to get back into dogs, we really wanted a direction and a goal in mind. Um, and we had a half dogo at the time. We did a lot of research and some of the good qualities that we liked is that they worked when we first started, we had a hodgepodge of a pack, including Catahoulas and Cur Dogs and all of the mixes, maybe a little bit leftovers from your uh, high school days. But uh, the qualities, we they work well for the pastures that we're in as far as that short to medium range, 
uh, catch them right when they strike them, not going to get into a race and go for miles. That was one of the biggest qualities so we could hunt locally. Others? Yeah, that for sure. That The, the, the Dogo itself had some breed characteristics that, that we wanted to focus on and thought that would be a good fit. But like Ashley was saying, we, we didn't want a hodgepodge of dogs. We wanted one type, one direction. We knew where we were going. Um, when, when I first started hog dogging um, around 12 or 13, and, and I would hunt with anybody that would take me. And there was a, a police officer that was, uh, he was like 20, 25 years older than I was, but he was also kind of new to hog dogging. And we were both kind of starting out and around the same, you know, level of, of beginner and uh i was buying dogs from him sometimes he would buy dogs from me again like ashley was saying you know that hodgepodge of, of dogs you know i had different types of breeds different crosses so did he and um you know that you just kind of get in a cycle where for like a year or two you don't really see any growth you know you're just kind of moving around you know utility players from one yard to another you're always looking for something that you can get that's ready to go right now and it, it's just a kind of a cycle and he broke that cycle for him by deciding that he was just going to go with one breed. And that was, that was the Kimmer Kerr, which would mountain Kerr, you know, that type of dog, but he committed himself to that and just watching and just how fast of amount of time he progressed because he set this, you know, set of guidelines that he was going to go by and, you know, he could use whatever dog he wanted as long as it was a Kimmer Kerr and, you know, he liked how it looked or whatever, but he had those parameters and it just seemed like that helped out a lot more as far as elevating his program. And that just kind of was a lesson that always stuck with me. And, you know, Ash and I, we talked about it and it just seemed like whatever we did, we wanted one breed of dog, a breed of dog that could do it all by themselves. We didn't want to have to, you know, haul around something else. And it just, you know, the Dogo works for us. Like, like she was saying for our pastures and for where we live, it, it it's a really logical fit. And I think too, like in, when, when we talked in 2020, it was very much, you know, could this be done? Does it work? And, and we were, you know, trying to show people in the hunting community that, you know, yes, it's, it, it, it makes sense. But, you know, since then it's just like, well, how much more can you, elevate it and make a, a, a much better pack of dogs. And I mean, there's other people now that, that are doing this with, with just dogos. And, and I mean, there's some really phenomenal dogs out there within the breed that are hog dog. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see that. It's great to see that there's some growth there in, in the talent level. You know, there's not a whole lot of pure breeds of dogs right now that, you know, can say that they're improving and that might not be on the whole, or, you know, it might just be certain dogs that are that are given the opportunity, but there are better working dogos and more of them now than I would say there was, you know, 10 years ago or even, you know, at the time we did the podcast. Mm -hmm. And you could, can you talk about some of the uh, hunting that they do in their native land of Argentina? What, and what's the difference between here and there? Well, taking a trip to Argentina is definitely on the bucket list. Um, we've been hunting all over Texas um, and we've known people that have taken trips to Argentina. And of course, we, you know, definitely consume all the, the footage of them on social media over there. But it looks like wide open areas, uh, some mountain ranges, but they're designed to have stamina, uh, to have agility, to be able to have a big enough gas tank to, you know, work on the ground, have somewhat of a, uh, a good nose, a sharp sense of smell. 
Um, but I think they use them similar to us, but maybe not so much. They have a, a few other maybe dogo crosses or sight hound types with the, with the speed being out in the open. Mm -hmm. The the dogal is is very common down there, which that's like a stag hound dogo cross. And you know you'll see these pictures where there'll be three or four of those cross type dogs in the back of a truck and two or three pure dogos with them, or you know sometimes you'll see as many as four or five dogos on the ground down there and a couple crosses. But one thing I do want to say about Argentina and, and what they do down there with their dogs, you know, there's kind of this stigma about the Dogo, about being this kind of lazy kind of couch potato, soft breed. And, and absolutely none of that comes from the original breeders down there in Argentina. I mean, Argentina, they still very much believe in the rustic one type Dogo, you know, like he, he's, he is a ranch or farm type dog. He lives outside, you know, the, your children should be able to love on them and, and, they act, you know, as, as perfectly as they can, just, just that's, great temperament. Yes. The temperament is something that we notice as well. Uh, and it's very important to us to be able to work as a pack. Um, and you can see that as well in Argentina where they have multiple males, females, mixed different breeds, all in, you know, loose in the back of a truck or in the yard with family. And that's another good quality of the Dogo that we read about and that we had seen from a handful of Dogos that also got us into this breed yeah they're the very very rustic but very like farm family oriented type dogs you know they can work around livestock and other animals and, and be fine i, I do want to say though while we're talking about argentina something that we've learned in the last three years which i mean we knew we always knew there was a, a european dogo community but just we maybe have been more exposed here recently to the quality of what's over there. I mean, there are some really excellent dogos, I mean, in all parts of the globe, but there's there's places, you know, especially in Eastern Europe where, where there are some really great dogo breeders that are producing an excellent specimen of what the dogo breed should be. And, and, and they, they deserve to be recognized for that, especially with, you know, it's the, the hunting laws in that part of the world are, are a lot more strenuous than they are, you know, here in Argentina. So, I mean, the extra steps that they have to go through to, you know, make sure that these are still working dogs is, is, is a lot higher. And, and you know, I, I, I applaud them for doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So talk about your, um, your, your program. What, uh, how has it changed the last three years as far as what you're looking for is, is, is a physical type and, or has it just solidified your opinion? I don't think we really kind of look for anything as far as physically with the dogs. We just are watching them, observing and seeing what's working and what's not. We don't really make decisions based on looks as much as it is about performance, but you definitely see a certain type of dog or a certain build that, that you know, works better than others. Um, us being here in South Texas, you know, it seems like if, if, if you look at the dogs, the, the Dogo Argentinos that are doing well in, in, in AKC shows, you know, you can almost put the, the breed in, into two, you know, categories. And there's that really heavy molosser type, just super heavy bone, super solid, you know, molosser type dog. That's, that's usually what's doing well at these AKC shows, but a dog like that, you know, in, in South Texas or in most places where, where you would hunt hogs, it's just not going to hold up. So you're also seeing more of these athletic, you know, working type dogos, and the, the contrast between the breed, you know, as far as which lines are producing which. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pitcher, you know, who's who's turning out which type of dogs. I mean, it, it's, it's almost like two different classes. But, I mean, we're definitely looking for a dog that's athletic, able to run. Um, Something that we've maybe learned – um, the Dogo Argentino standard is very strict. It does have a very strict set of guidelines. Um, and maybe not, we're always looking for balance and type, maybe over the specifics as far as the weight numbers, the height numbers, things like that. We always are looking, you know, type first, you know, if you see a dog with great type and then balance. Yes, we've had dogs short, high, and we've learned from those. Um, you always want to get them as close to perfect as you can. But uh, I would say that we always something that we've learned through the years, instead of being so specific on the numbers, is the structure, overall balance and the type of the dog. And of course, you know, something else is very important to us is always their head to be able to do the work. And, and what is what is it about the head? That... Uh, the head is definitely a stamp of the breed. Um, you can get a, with the molosser types, you can get in trouble with the short muzzles. Then, the, you know, that, that, that the dog gets into trouble in the woods with breathing, stamina, things like that. Um, you don't, it's just, a, it is a stamp of the breathe. You, you want balance is probably the best definition at, 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 for the standard itself. You want a one-to-one -one ratio, things like that, and then follow into the balance of the structure. Yeah, the, the, the bite's really important, um, especially how the lips line up whenever the dog is bit down on the hog. I mean, sometimes it's as long as, you know, 10 minutes or, or even more, that dog's going to have to hold that hog. And the ability to be able to breathe through its mouth while it's still caught is, is very important. So, so you just want to pay attention to the head that you're not getting too far away from what was intended, the intended purpose. The, the amount of the standard that's written about the head for the Dogo Argentino, I think it's like 40% of what the dog is scored on in a show is, is just the head. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a real big deal within the Dogo breed. So when you have a litter and you're going to, you're going to pick uh, a couple, one or two puppies to keep, what are you looking for? in that first eight to 10 to 12 weeks? I mean, it's, for, for one, I mean, we're looking for a confident, healthy, athletic pup. But when we say confident, something that we've learned is that it doesn't necessarily mean your most fired up, amped up pup. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes that can even be more of a sign of that's, that's, that's a pup that doesn't feel too safe in its own skin, that, that it has to act that way some of the most laid back puppies we've had have, have turned out to be some of our best dogs. So, I mean, really the, the main thing is, is, is more about the physical looks than it is anything that the dog does temperament wise. And the ones that we think are going to grow up to have a certain look to them, that, that kind of athletic, well-balanced design that, you know, can, can really put some miles down. That's going to be the type that we're going to look at maybe keeping. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the last couple of litters we've had, there hasn't been a real wide swing as far as from what we would say is, you know, the worst couple of puppies in the litter to some of the ones that we were more excited about. I mean, they've been pretty, pretty uniform litters. So, I mean, it, it even gets down to like personal thing. A lot of the time it's just, what do we need as far as, 
you know, like right now with this current litter, we're, we're really looking to keep males. That's, that's what we're wanting. So, I mean, the, the males that are in this litter will probably be more prone to keep those, but you know, physically it's, it's just, do they look like they're healthy puppies that are going to be able to have what they need to do this? And if so, then we just kind of start nitpicking from there. Right. And so when you do have this puppy, what, uh, what are some of the things that you do to, uh, uh, get them acclimated to, to the hunting world and, and what sort of imprinting tools that you, you use to ensure a good start at least? Well, again, hunting as a pack and the temperament of our yard being, you know, everybody's kind of on the same wavelength being a purebred dog. Um, we really like them to grow up within the pack. We let them run around the yard, meet some of the big dogs, things like that. But around six months, we'll start taking them on what we call field trips, little day trips to run around the woods a little bit, cross fences, ride in the truck, in the box, collar up, things like that. Eight to 10 months, we start taking them, you know, we'll plug them in with an older dog, start showing them the woods. And then around the year old mark, we like to see them actively at least have some hustle to participate. Everything's really natural. Nothing's nothing's ever really forced. We, we kind of want them to progress at their own pace. Um, one thing, and you know, like with a litter, like for right now, we've got a group of, we've got two pups that are, that are five months old that are litter mates. And then, like I say, we have this young litter now. And in both these instances, what we'll probably do, what we've learned, you know, from past mistakes, when you're starting a group of pups, we'll start one, take it, you know, multiple times. And once we feel like that pup is, is at a really good point and, and has retained some of this and, and we feel like we can plug them back in later on and they'll be able to contribute, then we'll put that one up and we'll start another one. We, we, we've learned in the past that, you know, when you're trying to start, you know, multiple pups at the same time or you're kind of flip-flopping, you'll take one one night and another one the next it's just not, it, it doesn't work out as well. So, you know, we'll focus on whichever pup seems the most mature and ready to go at that time. That's the one we'll start first. And, and there's no pressure. There's, there's nothing expected of them in the early days. Just, we're just gauging how they're going to participate. And the ones that want to participate more, get more reps. And then once we feel like they're in a good spot, we'll put them up and, and start another one and just see where they're at. But, but it's, it's always, you know, one student at a time is kind of what we've learned. Well, I mean, right now we have more males that are hunting than we do females, but as far as like type and everything, I mean, I, I would say that the, the best dog right now, as of what we have on our yard is, is a female, uh, for sure. And, um, I think too, with, with males, you know, you get to a certain point where around that four year, five year mark where they kind of start to get a little heavy. If, if they've made it that long, we haven't had a whole lot of males make it that far into the program. But with uh, females, it seems like there's a lot more longevity there. You know, we've had a, a good handful of females make it past five years old that are still hunting, still contributing. And, and that's just they're, they're just more athletic in, in their design. I mean, and a, a well-bred dogo female that's Physically, I mean, you couldn't almost design a better hunting belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I things with females, it seems like they start a little bit easier. Maybe they're a little bit smarter with things like loading up and, you know, uh, breaking off a of livestock. That's really easy. Um, but yes, when you have a good dogo female, which it seems like it might be hard to find, you have to go through a lot of them to get the whole package of a good dogo female. But that is 
probably it's very much like hunting a lioness is kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. I would say one, how we hunt. Two, we are big on you know the whole package. So they're putting in the work. They they are under pressure, and it's consistency as well for us. It's on a consistent basis. And so at a point in time, there are you know there it's miles on a dog, but it's some hard miles. It it, it seems like and you know you can go. 50 hogs, maybe even a hundred hogs, you know, before you come across one that's, you know, typically would, would, would be considered a bad boar. And it takes a really special kind of dog to get past those first handful of bad boars, which, you know, we do expect these dogs that they're hunting on the ground. If, if they come across a bad hog by themselves, even though they're alone, they should still engage. And, and, you know, hopefully the other dogs or ourselves get there as soon as possible. And it just seems like, you know, we've, we've had some young males that, you know, that, that, that benchmark of those first couple of really, you know, tough boar hogs have, have kind of, kind of set us back. Whereas it seems like with the females, you know, they, they've done well with that. So that's, that's kind of been another thing as well is they just, their, their, their livability seems a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. It's almost like upland bird hunting or like hunting beagles on rabbits, you know, as, without, you know, of course the open mouthness, but just that it's, it's, we, we, just like when we talked about in, in 2020, we're still very much predominantly hunting on foot. Um, we, we hardly ever rode dogs. If we do, it's for, for special occasions for, for certain places, but for the most part, we're always on foot. Um, we expect the dogs to cast out. We, we don't want them to, to be underfoot the whole time. We don't want to have to find a trail for them and turn them loose on it. They need to actively search. Um, as far as casting, it really depends on the sign the time of day, the, the, the amount of scent that's on the ground, how, how many hogs are in the area. How fresh the dog is. Exactly. How fresh the dog is. I mean, we've had dogs that we've taken them to places where as soon as from the time we've turned out to the time we picked them up, they're, they're closer to a thousand yards than they are to us. And we've had places where, I mean, the dogs are less than a hundred yards from you. They're hunting, but there's just not a whole lot for them to go off of. But uh, we do expect them to be able to, you know, trail, track, use the wind. You know, they, 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 they can't be one specific type of scent dog. They, they really need to utilize their nose, which that's something else that we've learned within the breed. And, and I mean, from the start, we've noticed it, but, but just it, it, it never kind of ceases to impress us, like how well they do use their nose. The Dogo Argentino isn't really known as, as a tracker. You know, that's not their strong point. They're a combat dog, but we've we've from what we've seen and, and not just our line from from dogs that have been given to us from other people and and just the dogo argentino in general they they have the ability to hunt and, and to find game and, and that's something that we've been really impressed with we like to say that if you can get these dogos within like 500 yards of a hog they're going to take a track and they're going to catch it as soon as they make contact with that dog or with that hog and as far as their noses yeah i mean it definitely seems like if you can build on that if you can get them to start using it and build on that they they will actively use their noses some better than others some will take put their noses to the ground most of them all wind but they have decent noses that can connect with a hog and, and we've kind of learned too what to watch for and like what areas you know if if, if we see them take a trail and, and the way they act, their, their body language, we, we kind of have an idea of how they're, how they're looking and, and what are the odds of us finding a hog based on how they're hunting. 
Andrew's saying that it's like hunting uh, bird dogs. Pointer is one of the breeds to create the dogos. So it is very, they do little loops around us. Sometimes they'll, you know, buddy up. Sometimes they're solo in all different directions, but they're doing little loops looking for hot sign, fresh sign from hogs to take a track to catch them on the other end. So we're and we're walking at a pretty good click usually when we're going. I mean, it's 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 not a slow you know deal. We're we're putting some miles down pretty hike. pretty yeah. It's it's a hike, but um, what we're looking for as far as what what I'm seeing on the Garmin is for every hour that we're out there hunting, I'm expecting at least five to seven miles per dog for them to be actively searching. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the winter time, we've had as many you know twelve miles within within an hour or so if we're really you know in a place that's that's full of hot sign and we're we're getting on hogs but but i mean i'm i'm expecting at least that that for an hour to two hours they really need to cover some ground and and, and actively search and like i say it's not based on how far away they are from me they can be within 100 yards from me but i need to see them covering as much ground as possible you know looking for hogs and then if we get on something that they can take further that they do that I guess my favorite time of year would be that February, maybe, you know, January to March time, right after deer season's ended. It's still cool outside. You can hunt all day if you wanted. Um, that's definitely my favorite time of year. <laughs> yeah. So like a, a goal for us, and it's been a goal for us from the beginning, is we want to catch, we, we want to average 52 hogs a year. We want to catch at least 52 hogs a year so we can say we've averaged a hog a week. Uh, and, and we hunt year round. There's never a time of year that, that we just say we're not going to hunt anymore. Like Ashley was saying, though, that January, February, March, we try to have over half the hogs that we're going to catch for the year caught in those first three to four months. April, really good to us, too. Um, so after April, you start getting into May. May can be kind of a wild card month if it's a wet May and, and everybody's planting and, and, you know, hogs are active. You can, you can have a big month. Um, if it's a hot, dry May, you know, it might not be so great. But June, July, and August are killers. Um, it's, it's 104 right now with a heat index of 112. This is like the 30th day in a row we've been over 100 degrees. I mean, it's, it's just brutal. We're still hunting. We went this morning. We, we, we caught a hog last Sunday morning. I mean, we're, we're still hunting year-round. Conditions, but... conditions are uh, tough, and you have to keep your dogs watered. Um, and you have to make sure that they're getting plenty of rest on your off days. Um, but you can still, you know, work a dogo and catch a haul. Yeah. It's just tough. And then, then you kind of get out of August, September kind of starts getting better. Usually the first half of September is pretty rough too, but then you have September and then October, which October has always been a big month for us. But at the same time with October ending deer season starts up here and, Deer season in, in South Texas is, is I mean, it's if we were to have a slow season, it would be around deer season just because we're going to let the deer hunters do their thing for a while. And then we slowly start making our way back. But we do have a few places that we can hit up at night just to get yeah. the dogs out to stretch them out. And what time of day is the best, you guys say? Well, I mean, it, it, it depends. There's a lot of variables that go into that. Right now, I mean, we're hunting anywhere from four in the morning to like seven in the morning because that's the only time you can really get below 90 degrees. I and mean, we've done some night hunts in the last month or so, but, but even, even when it starts yeah. getting dark at like six, you know, I'll go hunting at four just, yeah. just to see if the hogs are moving. Right. The, the heat index right now, even at like 10 o'clock at night, is still in the high 90s. 
you know, it's, it's real, you really got to wait for that morning for that, everything to break up. But yeah. And, and when it gets cooler, you know, like she was saying, January through March, I mean, you can really, you know, four or five in the afternoon, if it's under 70 degrees or so, you can get after it and be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whatever, like three or four weeks ago, we got a random rain shower. So it wasn't a hundred degrees. We thought maybe it had rained at a place, but it was so spotty, but conditions like that, if the ground is wet, that'll help a whole lot. But the sun just burns up any scent that was out there, you know, so it's tough. But we hunt year round just to also see what kind of dogs we have. But you'll make a dog hunting them in the summer. Yeah. You guys have like a club or just a, a loose group of people that you go hunting with? Or is it just you two? Or I would say 98% of the time it's, oh. it's Ashley and us. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a landowner that's been awesome. He's been a big part of our program and getting us onto places. He'll go with us, you know, maybe a quarter of the time and. You know, there's kind of some new people, some younger people that have been wanting to go with us. So we go with them. But I mean, as far as like with dogs and everything, it's it's just ours. And like I say, most mo most of the time, it's it's me and Ashley. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of people in the go-go breed, um, we've kind of told people, the, the ones that were interested, we've had, you know, people just kind of randomly message us that, that we've known from somewhere and asking if we would take them hunting. And, you know, we, we, we love to show these dogs work because we put a lot of time into this and we're proud of how they do. And then also, you know, it's, it's, we enjoy educating people on the breed. Um, we really don't typically hunt with other people's dogs much anymore. Just, just because, you know, we've gotten into such a good routine and it's just so easy to load up our own. Mm -hmm. And plus we have so many now that mm -hmm. we really can't afford to leave somebody at home so somebody else's dogs can hunt. So. And I think it's a personal thing now. I mean, this, we've been in this for nine years. You said we've been hunting go-go's for six years. So it's, it's our personal project. We want to take our dogs hunting. If we go with someone else's dogs, that's a dog that doesn't get to go. That's my dog. So it, it's a little personal, <laughs> <laughs> but we've had, we've had lots of landowners go with us. We've, oh, yeah. uh, you Taking know, friends. yeah, yeah. I mean, we've gone with other people. It just, I, I enjoy it more when it's just me and her. And I, 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 I don't know. It just seems like we're able to we, we can evaluate the dogs more. We're not worried about the third party or like making sure that whoever's with us is, is, is having a good time. This is us focused on, on our dogs and seeing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we can't do this unless we have permission on these places from landowners. So we always, you know, you always kind of just want to keep your, keep it straight with your landowners. You don't want to have a bunch of people, you know, things like that. But we've taken all kinds of people and other dogos and we've met all kinds of people from across the world that we've become great friends with. Uh, it's been, we've had quite a network through the dogos. Yeah. And uh, in March, we, uh, in one week, we took some people from California, honey, and got on two massive boar hogs. And then a couple of days later, we took a, a married couple that are very big into the dogo breed that are from Hungary. Mm. And we got them on a, on a couple of good hogs. So it, you know, we, we have those, those times where like when, when everything's great and we've got people that are wanting to, where we can take people and show them, but majority of the time, it's just me and him walking around the woods. And sometimes we bump a hog. That's the part that, you know, everybody wants to go hunting with you, but the part, you know, that sucks is the walking around with the dry run. There's not a whole lot of people that after one or two of those dry runs are wanting to go. A third yeah. Or they're like, time, never so. mind. Yeah. <laughs> I think they think that there's some kind of like, backstage deal that they don't know about but then when they see how we do it they they're, they're not as interested but. yeah for sure it takes a hearty soul to do some stuff like that but you learn so much about your dogs being on the ground with them and then especially like i mentioned 
the pedigree, having raised and hunted multiple dogs in the pedigree and then raising their offspring and their offspring. You learn so much by just watching how they naturally start in the woods, being on the ground with them, you know, what they're doing, what they're not doing, how they move is a huge part of it. Stuff like that. What are some of the things that you guys do to, to, to keep your, your dogs fit when you're not hunting? Well, I mean, really, that's that's kind of the benefit of hunting year-round is that you don't really have to do a whole lot of, if, if you're doing this. I mean, like like we talked about, you know, when we go, it's usually for about an hour or two. Um, when it's a little bit cooler, we'll maybe go to two or three places instead of just one. Um, but there's times we're going every other day, uh, you know, right before it started warming up, I guess it would be May. I was going, I was trying to soak it in. I was going every other day there for a couple of weeks in a row. And and when the dogs are in their areas, you know, that's when they're off technically. And we want them to be able to rest and recuperate and just, so we don't do a whole lot, I guess, besides the hunting, but we do have a fenced in area that will let them off and run around, play a little bit, things like that. A walks here and there, just around the place, um, things like that. But a lot of it is mainly getting out there hunting, putting in the miles. They, from, from what we've seen, they need about a mile, a mile a day. So if you're taking them hunting, you know, a couple times a week and they're hitting four miles each time you take them and they're at that eight mile mark or so for the week, then they're, they're usually pretty good. Or if you take them on one big hunt and you get, you know, seven or eight miles out of them in one night, they're usually pretty, pretty well rested until the next time you go in a, in a week or so. So I, I will say that we do make it a point to spend time with them. Maybe it's not a, a workout, you know, routine things like that. But, uh, we do spend time with them multiple times a day interaction, you know, a little bit of affection. I mean, you still build that bond with your pack. And like I said, about raising young dogs on the ground, uh, going up in and out of, with the adult dogs, they learn who's who, who's a little bit more friendly, who's a little bit more grumpy. It, it's very much raising a pack or a pride of dogos. Now it's all kind of intertwined. It's one big family. So we definitely make it a point to spend time with them every day, just as family members. Yeah, that's, that's a good, the, the bonding's every day, but, but physical conditioning, that's, that's strictly something that we try to do in the woods. And then, you know, as soon as we see that they're hitting that mark to where they're starting to get fatigued, we, we give them up and put them for rest. How many dogs do you usually run on a typical hunt? It, we've run as many as five as far as like, you know, more than once. I'm, I'm sure there's maybe been a time or two where we've had, you know, a couple of young dogs and then six on the ground. But, you know, five for us is a lot. Uh, four is, I mean, if, if we're hunting a place where we really know that it's, it's got a good hog population and we're trying to get multiple catches, the, 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 the dream is turn loose four dogos or three dogos. And if you get on a group of hogs, each one catches their own, you know, and, and we've done that a couple times, but um, I, I think three, three is kind of a really nice number. I think three is ideal. And then we like to plug in whatever young dog that we're starting at that time. Right. But three adult dogos that are the entire package that can find and catch a hog, that's a really good group of dogs. And you can put down a, a, multiple hogs or a good size hog with three good dogos. But we've had four if we're going to hit multiple places. Yeah. And so when a dogo catches a hog, what's the difference between, say, them and a, and a pit bull or an American bulldog? What, what, what gives you that? 
that extra oomph with them, just their size, their strength, or well, the extra oomph, I think, for if you're going to compare it to the American Bulldog and the Pitbull, the extra oomph is everything before that. Mm-hmm. The the hunting, the finding the hog, the grabbing it. I mean, all three are excellent holding type dogs. Um, I think as far as when you're looking at the breed as a whole, and when you're looking at it, you know how many of them are geared for that type of job. I, I think the pit bull maybe has a higher percentage of dogs that are that are going to work for that. If you're the type of hunter that you're using other style dogs to find the hog, to corner the hog, that what they call bay dogs basically that'll that'll you know bark and and stop a hog long enough for you to get there with a pit bull and, and turn it loose and catch it that away. But um, and same thing with the American bulldog. There's not a whole lot of people that are running American bulldogs on the ground with pit bulls. I mean. Not that you couldn't, you very easily could. I think one, there's a stigma. You know, a lot of these farmers that we talk to and explain what we do, I think if we would have told them, you know, at, at the start that I'm going to go to your place and turn loose three or four pit bulls, they probably would have been a little bit more hesitant because the Dogo Argentino, I mean, it's it's gaining popularity, but but you know, still not that well known, especially in our area from you know landowners. So, you know, there's a little bit more of a discussion there and you can tell them, no, these, these aren't pit bull type dogs. These, these, you know, have a little bit more of a, a, a brain to them and, and, you know, they're a little bit more easy to, to break off of livestock and things like that, which all of our dogs that we have on the, on the ground in the woods, they all have a shock collar on them that we can utilize at any time, you know, just, just in case. But I think as far as, you know, sup- separating the Dogo from those two breeds, you know, one, it's, it's going to be a little bit more intelligent as on, on the average, as far as like being easy to break off of livestock issues with other dogs, things like that. We, we seem to have better luck with the Dogo than we would with those other two breeds. But I think too, just when it comes to holding, as far as if you wanted to give something physically to the Dogo, the Dogo is a little bit taller at the point of its shoulder than most pits. Um, weight wise, yes, they probably are going to weigh more than, than what is a real American pit bull. But um, it's everything that, that makes it a great hunting dog along with having a, the ability to hold a big hog. That, those combinations for us is what puts it ahead of the other two. Mm-hmm. Being on a big hog with three dogos, I think, is maybe more controlled with their strength and their height than being on a big hog with just three pit bulls. Not maybe so much, you know, we're not talking regripping or the catching part, but the solid hold, the control of that situation, I, I would hand it to the Dogo. And again, with Andrew, everything before that, that stamina, uh, he had described it uh, a couple weeks ago of the, the pit bull being a gladiator type style, you know, strong hit, uh, um, a fight, you know, and then the Dogo being more of a soldier, you know, marching place to place, looking for your enemy and then having to battle. Yeah. It's, you know, that, that gladiator, that's exactly right. That gladiator kind of short burst of energy, combat oriented dog for a very small amount of time, whereas compared to a dogo that, you know, search for the enemy, have to march for a whole time. And then after that, they'll have the ability to do combat. Along with the shot collar, the collars also have GPS. And then we have a handheld system that'll show how far and in what direction each dog is. So that's a big one as well. The GPS collars, um, all the dogs wear a protective cut collar that's made out of Kevlar that goes around their necks. Um, And then the the GPS collars and, uh, you know, the medical will always carry a medical pack with us. And then just your gear 
yeah, as far basic, as leashes, headlamps, things like that. Yeah, we're we are very, uh, I guess almost you could say minimalist would be the word when it comes to like what we take with us. Like we're really, there's no four wheeler packed down with stuff. There's no side by side. I mean, it's what we can carry on foot and still be comfortable to walk, you know, five or six miles if we have to. I think in relation to the Dogo, you know, like we talked about rest is a very important thing and we're watching for fatigue more than anything. Um, when it kind of comes to just being out there with the dogs in general, you know, every, every place that we hunt, every place that we hunt and every place that we'll probably ever pick up, we'll either have cows or the neighboring place will have cows. These dogs off of livestock or having them trained where they can work around livestock is, you know, before we even, really start focusing on a young dog, that point has to be driven across that, that they, they, they don't, they, when, when we hunt with our older dogs after they've been started for a while, I mean, it's like, they don't even see cows. It's, it's like cows are, are invisible to them. They just, they just don't pay attention to them. And you've got to have that to, to hunt in this part of Texas. Um, I think as far as, like I said, in relation to the dog, you know, besides fatigue, there's times where dogs get hurt or, or there's injuries. I mean, of course, you're, you're hunting a, a wild boar that can weigh up to 300 pounds and, and has teeth and knows how to use them. Um, what I tell people when, when we're asked about, you know, anything as far as vet care, um, the, the biggest thing I can, I can give advice on is if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't do it. You know, I, I think a lot of times, and not just in the Dogo breed, but in hunting dogs in general, I think dogs get get put in a situation to where the, the their owner makes makes something worse whereas if they just either sought professional help or, or just kind of took a second to think about what they were doing before they did it you know it, it would probably avoid some problems down the road so i mean just you know don't ever force anything and and, and if you don't feel comfortable with what you're doing you know get somebody who, who can can do it for you or, or seek medical attention but don't 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 force yourself to do something thinking you're going to save a dog when you might not necessarily have to. How important is it to have a vet that's uh, kind of understanding and, and understands the hunting culture? We are lucky enough that our vet is uh, from the area and knows what we do and has met a bunch of our dogos. So that is huge. Um, I, I know that they're becoming harder and harder to find. Um, and things are becoming harder and harder to get your hands on as far as medications and antibiotics and things like that. I, I would say, you know, any advice to someone is to try to get you, a, a, you know, a, an, a business owner that has his own business, maybe in, instead of one of the corporate umbrella vet clinics or a farm ranch type place, you know. I'm sure you could go to your local feed store to maybe find a network of people like that. But it is important and it is definitely a plus in your program if you can find somebody that understands the working dog and understands even hunting feral hogs. I, I do want to say, while, while we're on the subject, though, and again, from years of experience of hunting with other breeds of dogs and, and crosses and, and just many different scenarios, the Dogo Argentino, one of the reasons that, that we've had the success we have is that they don't treat feral hogs like, like adversaries. You know, it's very much predator type hunting. They, they, I don't, I don't want a dog to fight a hog. I want a dog to catch a hog. I, I'm not looking to, 
to wrestle with a 250 pound boar hog. I want my dogs to be in control. And one, you know, and it's, it's easily noted. If you follow our Instagram or you see like our pictures and videos, you'll notice that, like Ashley said, we run a Kevlar, you know, collar on the neck and, and that's really it. Uh, and a, a big reason of that is because where we are and in, in the heat and you can't really run a full body vest. They make protective vests for, uh, for dogs that, especially for hog hunting dogs of all different, you know, however much cover you want to put on that dog. I mean, there's, there's equipment now that it's, it's basically something would have to go majorly wrong for a dog to get hurt if, if you're using the right type of equipment. But those are the type of dogs that like Ashley was talking about, the gladiator type dogs that are turned loose on hogs that are already stopped. For our dogs to be actively searching and hunting, they can't have that much protective equipment on. It's just the, the heat is too much for them and the, the fatigue will, will get to them. So we really don't run a whole lot of cut vests, but at the same time, that extra mobility and the athleticism that naturally comes with a well-bred dogo I mean, they, we, we really knock on wood have been very fortunate with, with how small the number of dogs we've had get hurt is when you consider how many good hogs that we've been on. And, and I, I mean, we're very fortunate in that aspect, but I think a lot of it too is that the dogo doesn't approach a hog like, like an adversary. It's very much something that is their prey and that they're trying to stop. We never want to see a dog get hurt, but I will say that learning from a bump or a poke here and there at a young age when they're starting out they really develop a sense of style to control the head you control the hog get on the side of the hog you get less injuries things like that so they develop a sense of body style style they learn how to move with the hog instead of against the hog things like that do come with the mobility and having a bruise here or there yes yes. yeah and and bread rights the the key word because i mean you can if you can have a dogo catch anything that you put in front of it, but if it physically cannot withstand, it does not have a good balance of structure, it will not hold up from even finding a hog or even being quick enough to catch up to a hog if it did find it. it a balance in the structure and physically, it matters. Well, they just don't seem to cross that wall. Yeah. You know, uh, I've, I've hunted with a lot of pits, uh, uh, not not a whole lot of American Bulldogs. I've, I've seen one or two. I've, I've owned a lot of mixed American Bulldogs, uh, American Bulldogs crossed with other hunting dogs. And some of those were really awesome dogs. But with, with, with some of the purebred American Bulldogs I've seen and with a lot of the pit bulls I've seen, they kind of cross that wall in the moment to where they're not aware of anything else that's going on. They, they, they don't see the big picture. They're just very much you know, focused in, in that one instant on what they're doing, which is great. If, if, if that's what you're, you know, wanting them for, if you've got four or five other type of dogs that are in that situation and you want that dog to just pinpoint focus on holding that hog and whatever else is going around, if, if that dog's injured or, or anything like that, they're, they're just totally tuned out to that. That's, that's, that's fine. I, I especially if you're, you're hunting with two or three big athletic dogos, you shouldn't need them to go to that point. Um, I, I want them to kind of still kind of stay grounded to kind of recognize where they're at, what's going on around them, you know, to, to have a little bit of awareness to the situation. And, and I think sometimes you lose that with, you know, especially with really kind of game driven type pit bulls that are just totally, you know, eyes rolled back. Not, not at all. You know, you, you don't even know if you could say what they are as conscience. They're just totally locked in on, 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 on their bite and, and just, just trying to hold on as, as much as they can. And, 
not really focused on whatever the, the kind of dog that you're going to spend five or 10 minutes getting them off that hog after that hog's dead. And, and I mean, I can appreciate that. I know there's a lot of hunters out there that, that want that type of dog. For me, I, I really want a dog that's, that's more grounded and, and, and more aware of what I'm doing and, and, and what it can do to help me and, and the other dogs. Mm-hmm. And that awareness carries over into everything with the pack mentality before that hog, after that hog that cuts down on the, the growling in the box, the dog fights around dead hogs. It just seems like that awareness is there from the beginning to the end that we're as a pack finding and catching these hogs. We're not fighting these hogs. We're not fighting amongst ourselves. Um, that's something that the dogo, that awareness does help them in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Things, things that we learned that, that were kind of a surprise, you know, I think there's other purebred dogs that aren't even, you know, in that Molosser or Mastiff or, or Bulldog type breed that if we were trying to use those pure breeds, we would have more issues with like Ashley saying with dog fighting and stuff. I think there's hound breeds out there that if we hunted, like if we just hunted red bone coon hounds and that's all we hunted hogs with, we would have more issues trying to hunt two or three males together than we would hunting two or three dogs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just very... Kind of once 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 you get them into a system, they they kind of very I, I don't know if intelligence the right word, but they just they 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 kind of buy in. And you just get them into a routine. There's there's not a lot of the BS that you'd have with other breeds mm-hmm. or mixes. What? Well, I mean, we've been really bl- go, go oh ahead. no, I was just, first you always want to breed with a purpose. You always want to have some kind of purpose in mind, and then you always want you want two healthy dogs. That's your starting point. Go ahead. No, yeah. And I mean, we've always, we, we breed for self-use. We, we don't breed to sell pups. We don't advertise pups. If we have a litter, we're going to like pull what we need. And then if there's one or two that we think would be a good working prospect, we'll try to put them in good working homes. But we don't breed just to breed. It's, it's always for what we're needing at that time. And if we're breeding for what we're needing, then we're probably just going to breed the best dogs that we have on hand. It's, it's not so much of like a, you know, scientist in a lab you know this dog has this this dog has this and we're trying to balance that out it's it's very much more like this is an excellent performing dog that's that's doing everything that we're needing this is an excellent performing female that's that's also a wonderful hunter let's breed them together and and hopefully we get some great hunters out of that and 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 that's more you know it's really just kind of breed best to best we don't really breed off of our yard because one, we really haven't had to for the last couple of years. Maybe that might change down the road. But, um, you know, when you're breeding for self-use and you're using your own dogs, I mean, you don't have to really overanalyze the why so much. And, and even then, like I've, I've always kind of gone to the thing where you can breed whatever you want to whatever. It's, it's more of what you do with the product afterwards and, and how you work through that that's important because I mean, it is kind of a crapshoot. If it was as easy as breeding the best dogs to the best dogs, we'd all be there. We'd all be there already. Yeah. How important is uh, health testing to your program? Well, I mean, the, I, I think these dogs to live the life that they live, it, it, that's kind of the ultimate health test. You know, um, if I'm asking you to put, you know, five to 10 miles down every week, you know, even in the summertime, anything that's a flaw is going to show up. And we've had, we've had dogs, we've had dogs that were given to us and we've had dogs that were bred on this yard that have broken down on us, you know, going through our, 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 a year of, of hunting hogs, like the way we do, it, it, it'll show up, you know? Uh, and of course, just big things as far as we pay attention to things like skin allergies, temperaments, big, 
but yeah, I, I mean, if there's an issue as far as structure, it, it definitely shows itself. We've had a few dogs that have shown itself early. Yeah, I mean, it, and living that rustic lifestyle. If we've had some dogos that kind of fall apart as far as that, living the rustic lifestyle outdoors, hunting all the time, eating kibble. And then we've had some dogos that have just been exceptionally healthy as far as thriving in that environment. And that's what we're looking for. This is a rustic working dog. When, when we started this, that was a big part of what we wanted to do. We didn't want to get dogos and then like have to cater to that breed as far as make things as easy as possible. When, when Ashley says rustic, I mean, our dogs live outside the whole year. I mean, there's, you know, things like today where it's been a hundred degrees, we'll bring some of our older dogs inside so they can rest and, and, you know, sleep in the AC during the heat of the day. But I mean, in, in the evenings, we'll put them back outside during the morning and in early noon, they're, they're outside on the yard. I mean, we, we want that, that capable rustic farm dog. We feed, you know, mid-range kibble. We, we, we don't feed anything crazy. We don't supplement anything crazy. Um, fresh water and rest, that's that's a big part of it. But Shade, we, interaction. Yeah, a lot of bonding and a, and a, and a lot of one-on-one -on -one It makes time. them mentally better. Mm -hmm. Well, right off the bat, I would say the hearing that you need to have your, if you're getting a puppy from anybody, they should at very least be doing hearing tests. It is an all-white breed. Um, you do want to breed for things like pigmentation to help those things like the hearing, but hearing right off the bat. Then there's other things like the allergies, uh, hip dysplasia, um, there, you know, mainly all the other things that plague all the other breeds, especially the large breeds. But hearing right off the bat, number one, at the very least, you need to be hearing, hearing testing your pups. I mean, like, again, there is a strict standard with the Dogo. You always want to compare your breeding stock to the standard. You want to get, get as near to perfect, but it is written in the Dogo standard. Above all else, the dog needs to be courageous. So we'd look for that first. Yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're more focused on the woods type aspect of this breed. What, what we're looking for is not at all really necessarily what an AKC judge is going to look for in the show ring as, as far as what type of dogo they're going to pick. Now, I mean, a, ba a balanced dog is a balanced dog. It doesn't matter how big a dog is or, or what it weighs or, you know, it's height and centimeters. None of that really matters as long as the dog's balanced. Mm -hmm. And we've had, you know, a pretty big window from the smallest dog we've had that's worked out and, and contributed to the biggest dog that we've worked out. I mean, you're probably looking at a 30 to maybe 40 pound swing and, and, you know, a possible, you know, four to five inches in height difference, you know, but like I say, if they're balanced, if they're athletic and they can perform, I mean, that's what we're looking for more so than, than having certain numbers of weights and heights in mind. Well, that's kind of why I like to ask that question. I know it's, it seems kind of weird when you're talking to a working dog uh, uh, program, but I kind of like to show, let people hear like, how different it can be from what you see in a show ring and what is actually a functional working dog. And a lot of times, you know, like let's look at your typical Labrador, a field lab to a show lab or a house lab, you know, a pet lab is, is night and day. And there's other breeds that it's just like that as well. You know, your German shepherds are working. You can, visibly and you you can know nothing about dogs and you can visibly see the difference between a working line german shepherd 
in a show line or a pet. And I think it, that's kind of like how, why I, I asked that question so they can build that into people's minds. And, and I have, I can visibly see the difference between a show or pet dogo than, than say something on your yard. They're definitely more athletic. They have that more rustic look and it just seems pretty obvious to me. And it, and that's why I asked that question. I do want to say though, that within the dogo show community, uh, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of people that are very successful in the dogo show community that, that don't work their dogos, but at the same time, acknowledge the, the people that do and acknowledge the, the need for that. You know, there's, there's people out there that are, you know, going to Westminster and showing their dogos and they may not do any type of hunting, but they've, you know, told us that they like our dogs. They like how our dogs look and, and they're glad that we're, you know, keeping that aspect of the breed alive but you know of course like our our, our main dog buzzy buzzsaw you know if, if he was in a dog show he would probably get laughed out of the if people didn't know who he was you know because of how small he is and just how different he looks than the show type dogo and, and that's exactly right what you're saying as far as like you see these splits and these breeds between the show version and, and the working version but i, I do want to say that the, the dogo show community there's, there's a lot of them that acknowledge that the hunting dogo is is needed and they're glad to see people, you know, still doing that. Yeah, I'm a 100% supporter of the show community, um, even though the, in, in some instances they're not necessarily doing right by, by the dogs. But that's everybody in, in every situation um, I, because I'm not, I'm not a working dog person. You know, I own a working dog. He's a livestock guardian, and I can tell the difference between my – my house dogs and then my livestock guardian dog. I mean, there's a huge difference, but he has no, he's not working basically other than guarding the house. Um, so yeah, I do, I do appreciate those people a lot. So I don't, I don't ever want to exclude them in, in my conversations at all because I think they bring something different to the table and not everybody has the capability physically, mentally, or, live in an area where they can do those sorts of things and for the betterment of, of, uh, the dog community, I think they do a lot of good, um, just as much as they do negative. And that's everybody in every situation. Yeah. And, and to that note, you know, we, we don't feel like every dogo has to be a working dogo, not every dog, a large majority of the dogos out there, honestly, a large majority of the dogos out there, if given the chance, won't engage with the hog. They, they'll, they'll choose not to, you know, if, if, if they, if they absolutely have to, they may catch out of fear, but if they're in a situation where they can get away or they let the hog get away, they're, they're going to do so. They're, they're not going to instinctively do that. And that's just because a lot of that working instinct's been bred out of them. There's, there's a lot of dogos that would make, you know, decent house dogs. If the owner knows what a, a, a dominant dog breed is and how to handle that. And at the same time, if they have an outlet, a dogo doesn't need to be chasing hogs every week, but a dogo does need to have some kind of outlet to, to burn off energy because they, you know, they're a working dog. They, they need something to, to give them purpose, even if it's, you know, walking or exor exercising or whatever they need to burn off that energy. But there's, there's dogos out there that can make excellent pet home dogos or show dogos. And, and that's great. I, I, I just. Yeah. What we're looking for is how much of a, Thank you. Those that we have 
may not necessarily make great house pets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to what we said, you know, you could read best to best, which is subjective to everybody, but it's, it's always a crapshoot. There's always going to be good and bad in every litter. The goal is to be able to get a consistent litter, which goes back to, you know, trying to pick pups at eight, 10 weeks old. You want to be able to pick any pup from that litter and have some kind of success. That's the overall goal. But yeah, you want to have some kind of purpose purpose in what you're breeding. And if that dog is, you know, structurally sound, but maybe not the best worker, you want to try to balance that out to breed her to a super hard male, something like that. And then kind of what we've talked about, you know, already in, in, in the podcast is just, you know, go with your gut and and, and trust it from the beginning. Don't mm-hmm. if, if there's a pup that, you know, stands out to you and you really like that dog, you know, more often than not, that one's going to be the one to go with. If there's one where it's like, well, you know, there's one or two things that I really don't like about them, but everything else is great. I, I would, you know, we, we're typically more faster to, to not, you know, focus on those pups so much anymore. We want the whole complete package right off the bat. And that's, that's kind of what we've learned is, is just to trust our gut and to go with first, first instincts have been most correct with us here lately, as far as what we've been breeding. What's a typical litter size? I mean, for us, when, when we first got into the Dogo, everybody was talking about how they don't breed well and how like, small litters. yeah, small litters, four to five, a lot of issues with the mothers, a lot of pups that, you know, half, half a litter will get crushed or, or what have you. And it's, I mean, we've just been four, four to super, seven is pretty, I mean, even. Yeah. We've had a few five. tens. We've, we've had some tens. We've had a, a, you know, yeah. I think four is probably our smallest. Litter. Four, four was our smallest litter, but we've had the average is about seven. Yeah, yeah, seven's about average, and I mean, we've had some excellent mothers. We've the, been lucky. We've, we've bred four different females over the last, you know, five or six years, and all four of them have just been awesome mothers. I, I can't say enough about how lucky we've been there. And I mean, you know, two of them maybe better than any other female I've ever seen as far as, as, as raising puppies. And that's any breed, any cross, like just excellent, excellent brood chips. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And what are they like after, uh, after, so we'll, we'll wean, you know, it, it all depends on the mother and how everything's mm-hmm. going. Typically five weeks, they're kind of starting to get tired of them. They'll let them nurse that sixth week, maybe seventh week. If you, if you've already moved some pups, you know, we're, we're trying to move pups as soon as possible to get down to our numbers as much as we can. So it's easier on everybody. And, um, you know, if you, you move half a litter, you know, usually they'll let them kind of keep nursing a couple weeks after, cause there's not so many, but you know, by that seventh week, we're kind of transitioning them over to kibble and water. They're staying by themselves. We, we don't really let them see the mother a whole lot. The mother starts to dry up. Um, our best female, she had a litter, I think, end of December and by late February she was already hunting again and and in March she had some big hunts so uh yeah I mean typically about eight weeks nine weeks after they wean them if they start you know drying up we're 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 hunting them awesome and what does your diet look like for your dog you talked about a mid-range Kimball or just a medium range kibble we've been again i think we told you three years ago we were feeding diamond high energy and it's been doing well for us we've been lucky with some healthy dogos we have a few great neighbors that always call us when they're cleaning out their freezers stuff like that um you know we try to treat them when we can but 
typically they're just eating kibble and every dog is different to how much they eat. Some dogs will just, you know, inhale it. Some are just nibblers for a while. Um, some put weight on like nothing. Some you need to keep shoveling them, you know, down the kibble, but typically that's kind of what we go for. You know, if you, you follow like the, the Dogo Facebook pages, you see a lot of stuff about skin issues and skin allergies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just to be really honest, I think a lot of that comes from one, they're white and two, they're being fed something that's way too nutrient dense or way too, you know, I, I, for lack of a better word, they're, they're being fed a hot ration. You know, if, if you're feeding a dog, you know, this top shelf, super nutrient dense dog food and that dog's hanging out in the backyard all week long. I mean, yeah, that, that dog's going to experience problems just like we would if we ate something really rich every day and didn't do anything with it. You know, we start to get hot. And I think that's, that's a lot of the problem you see in this breed. These people go and, and, and buy a pup for, for a very high amount of money. And they feel that because that's an expensive pup or an investment, they want to give it the best nutrition possible, which I understand. But what you're doing is, is, is you're putting way too much of a hot fuel in this dog that doesn't necessarily need it. I mean, we've, like, like Ashley said, diamond high energy for years and these dogs have done, done great on it. And that's not a, you know, real high level nutrient dense kibble. It's, it's just a very basic dog food that they, they do well. Mm -hmm. We've been lucky. I, I think we haven't had a whole lot of skin issues. And I think another thing is uh, it depends on what age they are. If they're a young pup kind of going through a funky stage, you don't really want to over medicate them. You want their body to build up some kind of immunity. Um, We've had a hot spot here or there on um, an adult, usually with a season change, you know, they'll go through a coat change. Some of the girls, you know, going through heat cycles, things like that. But we usually just doctor them up a little bit. We've never really changed foods much. It's never been a whole, I would say a food allergy thing, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a hot spot here or there, or just a young pup going through some kind of funk, but it, 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 they usually come back on the other side easily. Uh, when, when we do have those kind of issues and it, just basically dog care in general, mm -hmm. if you have dogs, Vetresin, Vetresin is an amazing product. We've used it for years. I mean, we keep a bottle in the fridge all the time, but like those little know. hot spots, those little itch patches, just kind of spray that a couple times a day. And, mm -hmm. you know, usually it works itself out. So to some things that it was interesting, I've talked to a few people and it makes sense is that sometimes it's just environmental. What's going on around you is something that you can't control mm -hmm. um and it's just any kind of dog is going to react maybe to a certain sort of situation like if you live you know for farmers spreading pesticide or something like that and then things happen during that time or whatever um i know a lot of working dog folks have just said whatever happens whatever time of season they'll see one or two cases where they normally won't and you know you we'll see something when it's a seasonal change mm -hmm. things like that if if we haven't like you know we, we usually i would say 95 percent of where we hunt is always going to be really close around us but say we uh you know sometimes we'll go like an hour east or an hour south and we'll hunt somewhere different you know just that little bit of different type of vegetation you can see it affect the dogs a little bit not not while they're hunting but like the next day you know you'll notice that Maybe they'll have a little bit of like a, like, you know, a little bit heavier breathing. You can tell they're kind of clogged up in the nose or some hot spots on their coat, you know, just 
just something different that they're not used to. Mm -hmm. So they kind of get a funk for a couple of days. Yeah. Another thing I always kind of explain to, to new Dogo owners is that this is a white breed. So like your Labrador, they get nicked or they have something funky on their skin or you're not going to see it. A Dogo, it's going to show up right away, especially a young Dogo. Yeah, for sure. Talk about um, if you were going to give advice to somebody who was going to start a similar program like you guys and using Strictly Dogos, what uh, what are some things that you would tell them and some of the things that you learned that you wish you knew before? Well, I mean, for one, like it's it's very easy to go out there and, and spend some money in a hurry and, and buy two or three dogo pups, you know, or, or if you wanted to start with one and, and, you know, you're already a couple grand in the hole, don't be in a hurry to get a dog. Talk to people that are doing it. Talk to other, there's other dogo hunters out there. Um, if you can go hunting with different dogos before you buy one, see them in the woods, see if this is really what you want to do. Um, a lot of people out there that, that hog hunt traditionally, you know, they're probably not going to say, you know what, let me try this you know, just because of the logistics of it, it, it is, it's, it's the, the, the hardest part of this was getting started, you know, mm -hmm. getting transitioning a yard to where you just have Dogo Argentinos and you're hunting that. I mean, that's, it's going to take patience to get that ball rolling, but once you have the ball rolling and especially with each generation, it, it becomes a little bit easier with each generation to start, but it does take patience to get that ball rolling, especially if you've already started a Dogo as a lead in catch dog, They've already kind of sat back waiting for the other dogs to do the legwork. But if you could start, a, a, you know, a couple of young dogos in the woods to actively encourage them to use their nose, you might bump a hog. I'm not saying you might catch them right away, but it may be eventually. And like Andrew, if you're going to be in the network for looking like for looking for puppies, uh, I would look at the programs maybe first to see who's really doing it as far as the all dogo thing or running their dogos on the ground and, and try to go hunting with them and, and see if that is something that you want to do. Don't, don't get hung up on, on names and, and bloodlines either. Uh, there, there are dogo lines that are traditionally more hunting lines for sure. But as far as like a specific parent or, or, you know, one type of dog that you have to have in your pedigree. I mean, I've seen a lot of great dogs that, that, you know, there's trash out there from those dogs. They just don't talk about it as much. So, you know, believe what your eyes and what you feel and, and go off of that. Don't, don't just buy something because of the name and, and, you know, really don't be in a hurry to spend that money because there's, there's plenty of people out there that are going to want to take it. You know, there's, there's, if, if, if somebody can get $2,000 off you, they will. So just be patient, hunt. And then when you see what you like, you know, figure out what you want to do on that. Uh, you know, we were talking about like the transitioning and, and, and the start of it all and how it's difficult. You know, in, in episode 61, we spend a good time talking about how we started those three brothers at eight months old without any puppy trainer and how like easy that part transitioned. Ashley and I have seen a lot of people that, you know, maybe kind of said that they were going to move this way and, and start hunting an all dogo pack and they get, you know, several steps in and then they kind of turn off the road. But the ones that kind of stick with it, you know, once they get started and kind of get to where we were around that time we did the podcast those people are all still in it because it works, you know, and, you know, just again, we're less than an hour from San Antonio. There's places that we hunt that there's, there's, you know, thousand home subdivisions, you know, less than a mile from there. Our, our places are getting smaller. 
it's 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 a lot harder to hunt you know the deep wide rangy hound type dogs that, that really burn down the country so i mean it's not just here it's it's other parts of the the country too that land hunting land is becoming more scarce so to have a big athletic dog that can you know work small areas we've turned loose on 20 acres before next to like you know highways and, and hunted these small patches we, we were very careful about it but you know you can you can hunt areas where other dogs can't get to and that's that's a big plus with these dogos i i always tell people you can hunt a shorter range dog. And when I say shorter range, I mean, their, their, their drive to cover a bunch of ground isn't as big. They, they, they hunt thoroughly, but they don't hunt such a wide loop, but you can hunt a shorter range dog on bigger places. You can't hunt a big range dog on small places. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. So that's, that's, that's been real helpful for us. I think the cost is the biggest, uh, the initial right. cost. And then, like I talked about earlier is that, your, your your chance of getting one that's going to be wired for this and, and have the have everything mentally that it's going to need to be a, a good hunting dog you know you're taking a chance on i think a, a seasoned hunter that has you know your more typical type of hog dogs that wanted to get into dogos and and did the kind of i i sent a dogo to a guy in louisiana a couple weeks ago that is, you know, he's been trying to get into dogos for a couple of years now, but he has a bunch of really high quality, great hunting dogs. You know, the, the typical cur type crosses, you know, he has a male dogo catch dog that he's had for years. And, and, you know, he's just wanting another one to kind of start. But I mean, the ones that have seen him perform in the woods and know what they do, they, they, they see what they are athletically and they can appreciate that, you know. It's, it's, it's like having a really, really awesome middle linebacker playing on your team that can cover a lot of ground. And that's, that's, that's handy. No matter how you hunt, you know, a, a good athletic dog that's going to catch whatever you put in front of it, that's, that's, that's handy to have. But, you know, the sticker shock, I think, keeps their traditional hunters away. I think the stigma of the dogo that, that doesn't catch hogs. Regripping is a word you hear a lot used against the breed. And, and by regripping – what they're referring to is, you know, when we talked about earlier a pit bull or an American bulldog, you know, they catch a hog. Typically there's, there's no rebite, whatever that bite is. Once they've, once they've sunk in they're they're going to hold until you get them off. And that's how it should be with the pit bull as well, or with the dogo as well. But you know, there's a lot of videos and, and a lot of uh, dogos out there that are known for kind of what they call gumming or, or regripping where they're just kind of chewing, you know, and it's not so much a control thing. It's, it's just a, just something that that certain dogs in the breed do and for us you know the big part of how we evaluate these dogs is on the hunt you know how they hunt how they search can they find hogs do they have the nose and then if they're holding that hog until i get there and put my hands on it and i'm not losing a hog because that hog's breaking the dog off there there are things that i, I wouldn't say i overlook but i'm not as concerned about and and for me if, if my dog is, is regripping or repositioning his mouth to get a better bite or, or moving around to where he can, he can anchor himself better and I'm not losing that hog anyway, then for me, it's, it's not as big of a concern. It's, it's not, it's definitely not something I'm going to call a dog over as, as long as we're not losing hogs. You know, once, once dogs start getting knocked off or, or hogs getting away, that's, that's a different deal. But, but just to see a dog kind of change where he's at on the hog, as far as his positioning, I, I don't, necessarily see that as a callable offense but that's again something that traditional hunters have heard a lot about so that also makes them more leery to try the dogo 
Their size and athleticism give them the ability to stop a hog from running. And, and we're not going to have a chase. We're not going to be chasing the same hog for miles or for hours. Um, I think another positive is that they're silent. Um, so when we are hunting big or small places, they're a silent dog. Uh, they're not going to open up on track. They're not going to be opening up behind a hog that's running. Um, we've had dogos maybe babble when they're caught from, I would say, excitement or, you know, maybe a handful, but they're a silent breed. And, and that's a quality that that we enjoy from them. And then, then yeah, this, the stamina, the athleticism, the agility to be able to, to stay caught and to work a hog um, for a long time, but their athleticism to control a hog. And another thing we've seen from Dogos is that the, we like a Dogo that is calm throughout the whole the whole hunt, the whole situation, being caught, um, as maybe your comparison with the pit bull. If, if you would have told me that, that we would have been at about 30 Dogos at this point, you know, and, and all the scenarios and hunts that we've gone through, I would have anticipated way more issues as far as, you know, dog aggression or just, just problems. And, and I mean, they've really been a really level breed considering other breeds and other crosses that I've worked with the things like breaking them off of livestock or breaking them off trash or, you know, being able to put two or three of them in the box together. I mean, they, they really, they, they, they have a really good mind for this. They're, they're, they're programmed well for, at least for our style, for what we do and for how we use them, they, they, they fit perfectly. And I think we thought we were going to have more trouble as far as their nose finding hogs. And like Andrew touched on, uh, our dogs, our own breedings or from other people's yards, we found that they naturally do have an ability to use their nose. You just have to build on that. Yeah. How important is uh, obedience training uh, during the early years as far as keeping this kind of um, more level-headed nature of them? Well, again, with like, with same, same as the hunting instincts, but just with a handle in general. We want everything to come as naturally as possible. I mean, we, we bond with these dogs. We communicate with these dogs. But it's it's not like there's a whole lot of commands or, or you know, a lot of interaction vocally. When we're, when we're in the woods, I mean, there's times where we'll turn out and we'll hunt a place for an hour and we'll load back up. And, I mean, we'll talk to the dogs, but it's not like we're giving them commands or, you know, it's very much they're on the ground. They know what they're doing. We're just letting natural instincts take over. But, but yeah, there's, there's a handle that we put on them and, you know, I beeping, you know, that shot collar tone is, is a big thing for them to learn, but you know, we don't overdo it. We, we don't, we don't try to put too much into these dogs heads. I think we do set boundaries from an early age. You know, these are big, strong, powerful, driven dogs. So you, from an early age that you, you have a boundary, a line in the sand that things that are okay and that are not okay, but I wouldn't say we're super heavy handed or dominant. And even on hunts, we're commanding them. It's, it's very natural, but at the very, uh, at least things like, up, you know, collar up, walk on a leash, you, things like that, right in the box. I, I could say that could be training. A, a, a big thing. And, and, you know, not, not to, we haven't had an issue with it, but as far as with any, any dogo, you know, working or house dog or what have you, with the older ones, if they get into a position to where they think that, that they are more important than you or, or that they come first, I mean, you, you're really setting up a dangerous scenario. So like Ashley said, at a very young age, you have to instill with them that they are below you. 
because once they think that, that, that they have more right or they're the dominant one, they're going to test you. And, and when they're older and they're bigger and they're more powerful, there's a lot of bad things that can happen with that. So you, you definitely have to, from an early age, be the dominant one in, in, in the relationship. It's the same old saying, you know, it, it's, it might be cute when they're 50 pounds, but it's not going to be cute when they're 90 pounds or it, when they're babies, it's going to be the same. So you need to start early. But I think it all goes back to that pack mentality that we try to, to have from day one on the yard. There's definitely a pack, a family, a, a hierarchy, if you'd say, when we're out there together, even on the yard. And we really try to keep things calm at yeah, all it, times. It doesn't matter where the dogs are in that hierarchy. Everybody's going to get their own space mm -hmm. and their own, like, alone time that's in their area with nobody else. You know, we don't try to cohabitate dogs. We don't kennel dogs together. Like, they have their own space, their own area. That's that's for them and in it seems like there's a respect among the yard that everybody's got their own spot. And, and that kind of helps out as well. Mm -hmm. Here's kind of a goofy question that I like to, to ask everybody. And it kind of wraps everything up is if you had all the time, the money, the space, what would be the second breed that you would run or have? Well, I think we, we're always going to be fans of those bully Arabs. Yeah. I mean, there's those are some impressive dogs. I, I think it would, hound man. Yeah, I think it would be like <laughs> what we were going to do with them. If we were going to hunt hogs with them, I mean, with, with the dogo covering its own aspect, it would probably be something with a little bit more nose and speed, like maybe, maybe a hound. I, I mean, to be honest, if, if we didn't have these dogos and we were still hunting hogs, we would probably just get some dirty Heinz 57 South Texas bread type hunting dogs. And that would be, and, and I mean, that's basically there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of them down here, different mm -hmm. lines, different crosses, yeah. different breedings. And I mean, just really, I, I have a deep appreciation for those type of dogs. I, 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 I love that there's people out there that, you know, still hunt those type of dogs on big places, you know, catching a bunch of hogs behind them. That's, that's awesome. I just, for where we hunt and for how we hunt and in our pastures, this all dogo pack works really well for us. I mean, we've tell people all the time that we can respect all different kinds of breeds and all different kinds of dog work. We, we are big fans of that, but this just works for us. It's practical, it's useful, and, and it's effective. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about with the dogo and the regripping. If, if you watch the videos of the Australian dogs, and I mean, a lot of them are one out where it's just one dog on a much bigger hog by themselves. I mean, there is a lot of repositioning and regripping and kind of babbling. You know, it's not that pit bull held on, locked, no sound. You know, it's, it's a little bit more of a combat type deal. So, I mean, it's just kind of a neat thought that I've always had that people are so quick to, you know, condone the dogo for catching like that. But these dogs in Australia that catch hundreds of pigs and, and catch, you know, with a regrippy type style that, you know, are still very much in control, but are repositioning themselves a lot. You know, they, they, they seem to kind of not see that as much, or maybe they don't see that as much of a, a fault, but. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, we just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I mean, this has become a, a project for me and Andrew and we've built our own little Dogo farm here <laughs> that we just kind of want to see it through. We know that there's other breeds, there's, pros and cons to all different kinds of breeds, but this is something that we're passionate about and we want to build on and make our dogos better. That There's 
no, we're not telling anybody it's right or wrong, or you have to do it just like us or have dogos just like us, but we're trying to build on our own program and make our dogos better. And we want our dogos to be able to do it all. I, I think when, when you first talked to us, you know, three years ago, we were kind of just kind of getting on the track and seeing if, you know, these dogs were able to kind of run, run the race. And I think now it's like, Oh, they definitely can do this. Now let's just see how fast, like how fast and athletic and, and how great of a hunter can we create? You know, it's not a question of if they can or not, but what's, what's the limit. And, and we've seen some really nice dogs that, that, that we're really proud of. And I think you've caught us at an exciting time. Like Andrew said, we were just kind of getting success, our foot in the door as far as building our own program three years ago. And now we have our first third to fourth generation Degueo to Degueo litter in the box right now. So it's an exciting time and we want to see this through as far as our project on the Dogo. In, in, in episode 61, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm and, and optimism there and now it's, it's a little bit more, uh, just knowledge. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we know more of and what we speak of. That's, situations. Yeah, that's, that's a couple hundred hogs ago. And, and we feel like we've got a better idea of and, what's, you and know. nothing is absolute in breeding. No, you no. have to just allow the dog opportunity, um, and experience what they naturally show you. I, I, I do want to say just because, you know, we are on this deal and we have the chance to is just, the, the greatest single performing dog that I've hunted with, will ever hunt with, will ever have the privilege of, of, of seeing in the woods, you know, is he's a first generation to Guayo Dogo. We're lucky enough to still have him. That's, that's Buzzsaw. And I mean, like, that's, I, I couldn't say enough things about how great that dog is. And I mean, that's comparing them to any other singular dog that I've seen as far as, as by themselves and, and being able to do it. And, and I mean, I've hunted behind some, some dogs that I consider to be really top tier hunting dogs. I just, and that's not a brag. That was a first generation. And I don't mm -hmm. think as breeders, you know, you really can't take credit for anything until you start getting into that third or fourth generation of, of, of what you're breeding. So, I mean, I don't feel like we did anything to make him great. I think that it was just the dogs that were in his pedigree beforehand. And then we gave them opportunities to show us what he could do and i mean i've just i we've had other great dogs with other great performances it's just the consistency through the years all year with if, that if we didn't own a dog like that as early on in the program as we did i don't know if we'd have been so willing to keep going when times got hard or things slowed down or maybe we didn't have the talent on the yard that we we really wanted but, but having him so early into the program showed us that it's, it's like, possible. yeah, I mean, I mean, to have a, I mean, just really, there's not enough I could say on the dog about how stellar he is. So having that very early on and, and just seeing him do what he does, it, it just, that's really kind of sold us on this dream a lot more than, than anything else could have. And, and just speaking of Buzzy, not to go off the rails here, but we were speaking on the Dogo community as a whole and the show Dogos and seeing the maybe the two types between the two. Something that's been going on here recently in the Dogo community is as far as more people pushing to do the all Dogo pack is all Dogo pack hunting competitions. And that's something that's we've been it's been very positive for the breed uh, getting the community together the hunting community itself together is always a great thing and it keeps the passion going and it keeps us as well you come home refueled and wanting to do better to create and to keep these hunting dogos 
it's it's also kind of helped kind of keep that that ties with Argentina. A lot of these places they'll bring judges from Argentina. A lot of them that were you know they they knew a lot of the originators within the breed or their family were originators in the breed. Uh, a lot of these Dogo pioneers that had a lot to do with these dogs in Argentina come here and judge these hunting competitions. And, and it just, it's a really good networking opportunity. Same thing with Europe. A lot of them, they'll, they'll bring a couple of guys from Europe that, that are experts in the breed and they'll judge as well. I mean, some of these places, they'll, some of these contests will have, you know, six or seven judges. So you, you really kind of get that, that networking and that bonding. We've met a lot of other hunters across the country that do this. And, and it's interesting, you know, you see these people that uh, they'll spend their whole vacation for the year, you know, traveling cross country and doing these competitions and really putting that time into their dogos. There's, there's, there is a little bit of a fevered enthusiasm among dogo people. Yes. Dogo people are crazy for their dogos. It, it's, and that's, you know, I'm sure that's true with a lot of working breeds, but it's, it's good to see it in this breed and that there's people that, you know, care enough to get fired up about their dogs. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, my last question is where do you see your program in, in five years from now? years <laughs> well i mean i i just i i, I feel like I, I i don't want to change directions i feel like everything the main goal has always been the same we've never you know shifted we've never like said well this isn't working let's let's go a different direction like the the main focus is to have a dog that we can kick out and i think something with these dogos we've talked about nose several times and, and tracking several times uh, uh, another big thing with these dogos has been a plus is is what i call quick to strike you know, when, when I kick a dog out of the box, how long until they are like actively engaged hunting? And we've, you know, even this year, there's been many times where within a couple minutes of kicking out, like we're not even done putting all of our stuff on yet. And they've already got a hog caught. That's, that's that quick to strike, you know, hit the ground running, just searching mentality. I, I want to keep, keep on with that. I, I want to have it to where when I turn three or four dogs loose, they're hunting as soon as they're out of the box. Um, I, a little bit of more nose would always be great. I, I think you're starting to see a, a shape. I, I think the size of our dogos is going to continue to go down. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the average size of our males compared to other yards, I mean, it's much smaller. And I think that's going to continue to be the trend. Um, but I mean, we'll probably end up with like an 80, well, I, I hope is like an 80 pound athletic dog that can run for miles. It's got a good nose on them, but it's not going to just run off to run off he's going to have a thorough search to him and, and and work tight circles work tracks know how to use their nose and then, and then catch on to whatever's there um we have other projects coming in that aren't de Guayo dogos that are you know from other breedings from from other places i'm excited to see how those match up against our stuff i mean five years from now we could have maybe one or two de Guayo dogos and everything else be something different you know or, or maybe have de Guayo dogos but like the breeding behind them would be different from, from what we have now, but, but we, you know, we just see, but the actual, what they're doing and how they hunt, that is something that's kind of always going to be our main focus. Everything else is, is not as important. And again, hunting one purebred dog gives you a compass of what true North is and what your goal is with this breed. We might ourselves, our own program have specific goals as far as the whole package, but yeah, I mean, health, the better nose, the active searching, the zero hesitation, all things that we're always going to be looking for. Yeah. 